So uh, Pastor Jim Critcher will be visiting later this month, and he's going to be sharing a message about what he hears God saying for our congregation for 2016. And so I don't have the year perspective sermon for you this morning at the first of the year. What I have for us is an encouragement about some things that are important um, to help you in your own personal resolutions or commitments. I'm not a resolution guy because like Jermaine joked about, mine fall off and then You know, there's nothing magical for me about January 1st. In fact, if I make a commitment on January 1st, it's pretty much not to make a commitment on January 1st. And I keep that one. Uh, My best commitments are made in like May and September. And so there's no bad time to make a commitment. And I know a lot of you are making commitments, so I wanted to speak to commitments today. Uh, Whether you're making a New Year's commitment or you're waiting till May, this will be helpful for all of us. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Timothy who is leading a young church. And by young church, I mean a new, a church full of new believers. Now, it was full of new believers because there were no Christians before. These are the first Christians on the face of the planet, and they're trying to figure out how to do life. What do we do with this message of a Savior who came, died, went up to heaven, and sent down a Holy Spirit? How do we interact with this God? He suffered. Do we have to suffer? He gave to the poor. How do we give to the poor? He died a brutal death. Is that what I have to do? Do I need to make life hard on myself? Can I enjoy things or can I not enjoy things? And they're wrestling with these things. And Paul sends a letter to Timothy to encourage him and to train him in how to lead his young congregation. And also the overflow of this letter goes to his congregation to instruct them and to train them about what Christian life looks like individually, but also corporately. And so 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says this, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe the words of God. Jesus, help us today to discern between that which is not important and that which is eternally important. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. The idea of this passage is that there are things, ideas, concepts, philosophies, exercises, priorities of no value. And there are those priorities, ideas, things, uh, activities of some value. And there are some of great value. In order to identify these things, I'm going to go in order of least valuable to most valuable. And so we're going to jump around in the passage a little bit. So we're not going to follow it directly 7 to 10. We're going to go 7, 8, 7, 10. Okay, so if you're trying to follow along, I don't want you to get confused. The first set of things is those of no value. Paul tells the people, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Paul is saying, don't get distracted by all the noise that's out there. I wonder sometimes what the noise would have been and how hard it would have been to find the noise before newspapers 
before tabloids, grocery store lines, and everything else. The distraction, the silly myths, the noise that they would have received would have been in the marketplace. It would have been in, you know, you go to tabernacle, you go to church, you do whatever you're doing, and then it's the fellowship afterwards. Somebody gets this idea, oh, did you hear about this? Oh, did you hear about this? Did you, you know, talking about the gluten-free diet and GMOs and non-GMOs. GMO, is that what it is? I'm not good at that. And so they're, they're talking about all these things and there's all this information, but I think about how much more relevant it is or as relevant it is for us today because we've got the noise of Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest and we've got BuzzFeed. And it's so easy to spend hours upon hours upon hours just chasing down silly, irreverent, meaningless things. It's interesting at the moment. But Paul's like, don't concern yourself with these things. Now, the things that they were, that Paul was probably writing about was about, um, was about philosophy and, and how to interact with and how to walk with Jesus. There was this thing called asceticism, which is basically severe self-discipline, wherein you can't have any pleasure and you've got to kill everything that is desirable. And it's like, I won't touch this, I won't touch that. And you force yourself to live like the appearance of a very godly life. Asceticism is where you like promote yourself as godly, but your heart is far from God in it. In asceticism, you're looking for your own harsh self-discipline to be the thing that commends you to God. Instead instead of letting the work that God has done commend you to himself. You with me? It used to be that it, it only a few select people had a kind of platform where they could influence and steer philosophy and belief. You know, something that's been interesting to me is that Facebook started because uh, Mark Zuckerberg, there was this thing called a Facebook for Harvard. It's like a yearbook. It's just pictures of people's faces and you can connect. He's like, oh, they should go online. So people can connect. But somewhere between when it was created in whatever mid-2000s and now, it has promoted everybody to Confucius and Gandhi. Like my Facebook feed today is full of inspirational sayings, full of ideas, full of recipes, full of uh, philosophies, full of quotes, full some of them inspirational but wrong. Some of them not inspirational, but right. Some of them way off in left field and some of them way off in right field. And if you're like me, you've got friends on both sides of the political side defending their side with all sorts of irrelevant and kind of nonsensical arguments. And so we have coming at us at a million miles an hour and always accessible these kind of myths and these kinds of traditions that have no real substance or value. You see Bible verses being taken out of context. You see, you see other texts being overlaid on top of the Bible as the way that we're supposed to understand it. Those are the silly, irreverent myths that Paul would warn us about today. We need to not give time to ridiculous things. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. When we're old, I don't think we're going to regret the time spent worshiping. 
We won't regret the time spent reading our Bibles. We won't regret the time spent in in small group fellowshipping over the richness of what God has done in our life and what he desires to do in us and encouraging one another and inspiring one another. We're not going to regret the time spent with our families, the board games and reading the books and cleaning up the macaroni and cheese and the rice that's all over the floor, right? I don't know why we insist on feeding our kids rice. But we do it. But I don't think we're going to regret that. Talking to older parents, I realize that I'll probably miss that. We're not going to regret the time laboring and prayer and serving one another and praying for one another and fighting for one another. We're not going to regret the time where we took meals to other people because they just had a baby or because somebody's in the hospital or because somebody lost a loved one. We're not going to regret these things. But and, and I already in my life, I have very few regrets, but there's one regret I know that's looming and it's the brain rot that comes from just giving myself to worthless things. Mindless flipping through channels. What are you watching? Nothing. Going through a Facebook feed and looking at absolutely nothing. A Twitter feed, nothing. News, nothing. What are you reading, daddy? Nothing, really, nothing. I, I don't even know what I'm doing. Why am I reading my, why am I looking at my phone at night? There's no reason. There's nothing. I already know because the news feed hasn't changed in five minutes, JC. I just want to make sure I didn't miss anything. What stupid thing got said at that rally? Nothing that I didn't already read. So there's some things of no value. And there are things of some value. A few months ago, I encouraged everybody in our congregation, hey, everybody, let's be healthier a year from today than we are right now. And I already see some results. I'm seeing less of (laughs) y'all in the best way possible. I'm proud of you. Some of y'all are losing weight. Some of y'all are are eating better food. Some of y'all are eating just one less plate of nachos a week. I commend you for that. challenged you to do this and then the holidays came so it wasn't very good timing and i'm going to reiterate this encouragement right now in this moment and then we're going to go eat cake pizza and wings (laughs) the encouragement wasn't to be perfect and cast out everything that tastes good the encouragement is to be healthier a year from now than you are today we need to train our bodies so that we can be prepared for the work that God has called us to and the work that he's prepared for us ahead of time. And he's not glorified when he calls us to do something and we can't do it because we don't have the strength or the energy to get off the couch. Megan was reminding me that a year and a half ago when I started uh, setting my mind toward fitness, right? So I've lost 45 pounds to date. And I, I don't say that for applause. I just say that because I know that you can tell, right? People are like, whoa, whoa. Um, what happened? Well, it took a year and a half. And my goal wasn't losing weight. My goal was being healthier so that I could be the kid, the parent that my kids need when they're teenagers because I'm already gassed. Daddy, will you go play soccer? I'm exhausted. I hadn't done anything. You know, and, and exhaustion comes on and working on a computer and sitting all day, that's really hard and it's tiring. It's wearisome in its own way, but I didn't even have the physical strength to get up and go and do it. And it was like, if I feel this way now, 
50 is going to be rough. When I've accumulated wisdom and insight and a relationship with Jesus, when, when we're who we're going to be, I'm not going to have any, any energy to, to maximize that. And so I set my mind toward being healthier. There, there are values. There is value in being physically strong or healthy, ranging from being able to do the work that God's called us to do, from having a clearer mind to having emotional benefits. I'm, I used to struggle with depression in a big way. It would creep up on me, not like, what was me, terrible, but it's like, man, I just don't want to do anything. I want to sleep. I want to eat some food and sleep. But as I've worked out, God has turned something on in my brain and he's turned something off in my brain. And now I don't need those other things quite the same way I need them anymore. And I know it's true for most of us because exercise and working hard releases certain endorphins in our bodies that, that speak to our brain. It's a brain thing as much as it is a body thing. I'm not a scientist, clearly. But as Christians, we don't live for ourselves. We live for the glory of God. It's not just about me being better me so that I can feel better about me. It's because God is glorified as I spend time with my children and I have energy to train them and play with them and grow them up and train my son what it means to be a man and train my daughters what it means to be, to be a woman of God. And I couldn't do that without energy. I could hardly let Christ live through me in the way that he desires to when I couldn't get up the stairs without sucking wind. Going into the new year, I want to encourage us all to hold that in front of us. Let's be healthier a year from today than we are now. And for some of you, you're going to lose some weight. Great. That's not, that's not necessarily the goal for, for us. I, I never had a weight goal. I don't have a weight goal even still. But I have a, I, well, I'll talk about some of, the, some of the keys to accomplishing whatever goals you set. There are some things about SMART goals. You know about SMART goals? Yeah. Specific be specific, make it measurable, make it achievable, make it realistic and time bound. I didn't do any of those things for my goal, but it's a good idea for you. <laughs> I was just like, I want to be healthier. And I did some other things. And I'm going to talk about the things that I did instead of setting smart goals. I should come up with an acronym, dumb. <laughs> do it. I don't know. There's value to physical training, but it has very real limitations. As I've lost weight, as I've gotten stronger, it didn't actually help my marriage. It didn't help me relate better to my wife. That's a whole nother exercise. I've got more energy to relate to my wife. I've got more self-control because self-control is actually a muscle. Uh, a muscle psychologist are saying that self-control is actually a muscle that you can grow and you can strengthen. So if you have no self-control, the best way to get self-control is to use the self-control you've got. So if the only self-control you've got was to show up at church today, just keep showing up. And your self-control will increase. And as your self-control increases, you can take on more and more things. Man, it was hard to get to church today. Great. It's not going to be as hard in three months. But self-control is a muscle that we flex. I've got more self-control because I've controlled my body, but it hasn't fixed my heart. There were times where I went in this cycle of getting hurt and um, having to step out of physical fitness. Like, I was like, I, got over, I, knew, I knew I was getting thicker. <laughs> thicker. I knew I was getting thicker. I knew it was happening. And so I was like, I'm going to go work this off and I'm going to work it off right away and I'm going to work real hard and I'd hurt myself. And then I'd have to take six months off and get thick again. 
and then hurt myself and get thick again and hurt myself and get thick again. And it, and it just, I was stuck in the cycle. I don't know why I'm talking about that. It just happened. No, I have no idea what I was going to say. So let's keep moving. But it has a limited value. It doesn't start a conversation with a, uh, with about, it doesn't start a conversation with a friend about the gospel. It won't worship God more. Not on its own. It gives you more energy for these things. There is something of greater value. That's that we would train ourselves for righteousness. The great value is to train for righteousness. The word train that Paul uses is gumnadazo. Uh, gumnadzo. It, means, it, it really means training. It's actually, uh, when they trained gladiators, they did it in very little or no clothing. And it refers to that kind of training. That kind of intense, violent, rigorous training for a specific purpose. The word for godliness speaks to reverence and piety, holiness. Which are all kind of complicated words, but it basically refers to someone's inner response to the things of God. It's the things that result from us when we see God for who he is and we understand what he's done. Reverence comes on us. Piety comes on us. Humility comes on us. Reverence comes on us as we interact with God and we interact with those around us. By putting these two words together, the train for godliness, we realize that there should be a passionate, intentional, deliberate preparation for the thing, like to respond to God with reverence. It's not the kind, this kind of training, this kind of intentional training isn't ever done just because, is it? You don't just wake up like, I'm going to go beat the heck out of myself. Most of us. Tony probably does. Is Tony in here? I like making fun of Tony because he works out real hard. Most of us don't wake up and just decide to beat ourselves up for the sake of just being more fit. We do it for a goal. We're not going to just decide to be more godly just for no reason, but there needs to be a purpose for it. That purpose is to prepare ourselves for everything that God is inviting us into. It's preparing ourselves for a more intimate and deeper relationship with the living God out of response for everything that he's done. The difference between physical training and training for godliness is that in physical training, you do all the work. You've got to wake up. You've got to push the weight. You've got to, you've got to move it. You've got to go. You've got to run. You've got to walk fast. You've got to do whatever it is that you're deciding to do. Training for righteousness is where you cultivate the right environment for God to continue to do what he wants to do in your life. I can pretend to be pious. Hey, brother. How you doing today? Oh, I'm blessed. Blessed and highly favored. Not a problem in the world. We can pretend to be pious. Oh, that worship, oh, that was sweet. And you could say all the right things and put off the appearance of righteousness. You can put off the appearance of holiness. You can wear the right clothes to church. You can, you can wash your car before you come so it's sparkly. You can have your, your Bible. I remember my first Bible had gold leafing and I didn't really read it. 
and I didn't realize it until I was in a Bible study. I was looking righteous. I was looking pious. And they were like, yeah, go ahead and open up to Isaiah. And it was like, and it was all caked together. I'd been carrying it for a month and the, the gold leafing had never separated. I was like, yeah, you know, I use this a lot. I use my other Bible. This is my travel Bible. <laughs> I had the appearance of godliness, but when you, you, you looked closer, it was like, man, this guy hasn't even cracked his Bible. Literally, it had to crack open. So I'll, what I want to do is I want to share some of the things that I learned over the last 18 months is God has, has transformed my life in a lot of ways, very, in a very physical way. But all of these were actually spiritual things that I applied to a physical thing. So as I, as I talk about these things, you're going to probably think more about the physical side of this, but these are spiritual principles for training for righteousness, not just physical principles for training for losing weight, right? You with me? The first thing was that it's not just about externals. And I'm going to read a lot of this just for time. Sometimes the guy who looks, at the, who looks the most fit is the least healthy. And sometimes the guy who's the loudest at the gym doesn't know the most. Sometimes the guy who's the least fit is going to be the most healthy in the end. That last week's sermon was all about that. Comparison kills. And when we compare ourselves to others, we can end up with a false sense of security or greatness or a false sense of insecurity. Just because you look better than someone else doesn't mean that you're okay. Also, just because somebody looks better than you doesn't mean that you're not okay or that they are. Last week's sermon touched on that. The little muscles are really important. I used to ignore the little muscles. That's why I kept getting hurt. I wanted to work on the muscles that look good, JC. So I'd go to our apartment gym and I'd just do bicep curls in the mirror and look at myself. <laughs> Jim Gaffigan talks about, I look at myself while I work on myself. <laughs> That's what I would do. That was my workout. Spiritually speaking, the little muscles are the ones that you're willing, are the ones that you flex when you get in the Bible in the morning before everybody's awake or at lunch break because you didn't in the morning or before you go to bed because you didn't in any, of the other, in any of those other time slots. Those little muscles are where you choose to serve other people when you have an open moment instead of just reading the news again. <laughs> Spiritual equivalent to working just the big muscles is showing up at church and expecting a big worship moment and the big emotional moment. And that's the end of your spiritual expression. And it's too easy to fall into that trap where we focus on all the big things and forget about all the small things. Another thing I learned is that you can't outwork a bad diet. I can't <laughs> do a one-hour workout and outdo, outdo 23 hours of latency. In a one-hour workout, I can't outdo the three orders of fries that I'm going to eat that day. Not really all fries, hash browns, french fries, and potato wedges. It'd be gross to eat french fries three times. You've got to fry it different ways. 
But you can't outwork a bad diet. We can't show up to church on Sunday and expect great returns if we're not investing the, the rest of the week. This can't be your sole source of, of inspiration and encouragement and fellowship. You're not going to be able to grow into what God has for you. Our time together is only as effective as how you spend the rest of your week. That's not to say that you can't come in beat down or discouraged. But it is to say that if you have a a steady diet of rated R movies, blue comedy, and violent music, Sunday's not going to fix it. It's like going to the doctor and having a diet of fried chicken and wings, you know, and, you know, it's like fried chicken. Wings are fried chicken, aren't they? (laughs) Different fried chicken. I like fried chicken. But I can't go to the doctor and say, your appointments aren't working, doctor. And he's like, you got to change your diet. And then I stay on the same diet and I come back and I'm like, I'm still gaining weight, doctor. He's like, you're an idiot. Sometimes we got to chuck the trash, spiritually speaking. Transformation takes time. And that's a good thing. You've got to find your people. When we talk about accountability, we, we, don't, we often think about the discipline side of it and the correction side of it, but we rarely tend to think about the encouragement side of it. Uh, about, so I did the first, for, for, so for 18 months, I spent almost the first year by myself, working out by myself. And, and my commitment was just get to the gym and, and just do something. And my, you know, if I got to the gym, my ego would take over and I'd do something, right? Because I couldn't get seen not doing anything. So if nothing else, I just moved some weights around before I left. <laughs> like, <laughs> JC knows. <laughs> but um, six months ago or seven months ago, Oshimago came to me and he, I was talking to him and I said, man, I've, I've plateaued. I'm, I'm just stuck. I'm not feeling strong. I'm feeling tired again. I'm, I feel myself slipping back into what I used to do. He's like, you got to come out with us. And Oshimago, if you don't know him, he, he's a big dude. He's a fit man. And um, his biceps are the size of my thigh. I mean, he's just, just an enormous person and very strong. And I was like, that's the last thing I wanted to hear was an invitation from him to work out with him and his friends. Because <laughs> I knew I was saying yes to him and a lot of people that look like him. And I did. And, and so he invited me on Sunday. I said, I'll be there tomorrow. And I showed up. And they were all big. And we did a warm-up. And I thought that was the exercise. <laughs> the warm-up was 20 minutes. You don't warm up for 20 minutes. This is ridiculous. It was some sort of sin. I knew it. <laughs> but my sin's the only thing that kept me in it. <laughs> Because I was like, I'm not going to show that I'm weak. So I'm doing it, and we're doing these exercises, and they're all doing really heavy weight, and I'm doing like really lightweight. We did squats for three weeks. Like, you know, I got there, well, the first two weeks, I don't remember. <laughs> then we changed workouts. The next month, we were doing squats, and, and so they're all doing like, you know, when you've been to the gym, right? Or have you seen pictures of the gym? They've got these big... <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't at anybody, JC. 
So they got these big 45-pound weights, and they had multiples on each side, and they're doing squats, and they're, they're getting down like this and doing it. I was like, yeah. And they were like, you do that one over there. And it was just the bar. <laughs> and I was like, guys, come on. You know, like, I'm a man. You know, give me some weight. And they're like, no, let's just see if you can do it. And I couldn't do it. My stomach wasn't strong enough. I had a bigger stomach than all of them. I don't understand what the problem was. <laughs> Apparently it wasn't strong enough. And the weight would like crush me, just like the little bar. It would crush me and I couldn't do it. And so my workout for the first three weeks on this thing was to stand next to a bar and to go like this. <laughs> While they were lifting all the weights. What's worse is they could do more reps than I could. And I'm just... But what was funny about it is that they were cheering me on. All these big dudes lifting 300 pounds and I'm doing nothing. They're like, it's like sitting on a toilet. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. (laughs) But then they're cheering me on. They're like, come on, man. You got it. And over six months, I'm, uh, things have changed and I've gotten stronger. And you know what they did when, when I could finally start doing weight is they got behind me and they started standing with me and lifting me up and holding me and helping me do more weight than I could do by myself. But I had to find the right kind of people to be able to get stronger. Spiritually, you have to find your people if you're ever going to get stronger. And you might show up and the best you can do is not cuss during worship. If that's where you are, welcome to Grace Covenant Church. We're going to help you. You've got to find your people. I stayed because it's the most encouraging environment I've been in outside of church. I'm dreading tomorrow already. We work out tomorrow morning. It's leg day. I don't want to go. I'm going to text them tonight. I'm going to say, I don't want to go. And I'm going to send them a a meme of somebody dropping weights on their head. And I'm going to fake an injury. And then I'm going to show up in the morning. Because it's just, I found some people that I love and love me. And they want to encourage me and inspire me and call me up. I've learned that it's as exciting to see someone else succeed as it is to succeed on your own. In fact, It's almost more exciting in a way. When somebody comes in and they're now the guy who can't do much weight. Getting to cheer for him and call him on and seeing people come in and and do better. Go past what even, like what I'm able to do. That's, That's exciting to me. It's encouraging to me. Same thing spiritually. I love it when you succeed. I love it when your marriages get healthier. I love it when your relationships get better. I love it when your, when your friendships get stronger. I love it when you find each other. I love hearing that you all are getting together. I love hearing that people are going to each other's houses for Christmas. I love hearing that people are taking meals to one another. I love it. It's so encouraging and inspiring to me. Something else I learned is that you just got to show up. That's where finding your right people makes it easy. But even if I don't want to go, even if I don't want to do anything, I even, finding your own people, finding the right people is so powerful because like I I hurt my neck at one point. There was a kink in my neck and I showed up for no reason at all. I couldn't do anything. 
I just wanted to be with him. Lastly, that form matters, form matters more when the weight increases. You can get away with doing something wrong for a while, but as more weight comes, poor form will be exposed for what it is. And I'm so thankful that I found some people who didn't let me hold bad form because I could have done the 45-pound bar wrong. But they didn't let me because they knew that, that 90 pounds was coming. They knew that 200 pounds was coming. They knew that whatever, whatever weight is coming, they knew that was coming. So they didn't let me stay with bad form. And it's spiritually true as well that you can get away with, you know, a sinful lifestyle for some period of time and look good on Sunday morning. You can, you can get away with little sin here, little sin here, little sin here in your closet late at night, hidden from everybody else, making uh, uh, poor decisions, spiritually speaking, never reading your Bible, the poor spiritual form. You can get away with it for a period of time, but it will be exposed for what it is when trial comes, when difficulty comes, when, when storms come. Form matters most when the weight increases. The thing about physical value, and, and it's very, very valuable, is that all physical gain is temporary. Even the people that Jesus raised from the dead would one day die again, a physical death. The people that were healed of, not being, uh, of, of being lame and not being able to walk would, no, would someday no longer walk. If God has touched your body and he's healed you in a particular way, your body is going to expire. There is something of greater value and that's the spiritual work. That's the training for righteousness. And that's why it's so critical to apply these kinds of things to not just your physical life, but more importantly, to your spiritual life so that you can be prepared for godliness, so that you can be prepared to be God's man and to be God's woman for everything that he's calling you into. And it's not just about the work. I know I talk about the work a lot, but it's about the relationship. As I train myself for righteousness, I become more pleasurable to God. As I do my part in cultivating the right environment for godliness to do its work in me, for the Holy Spirit to do its work in me, for the gospel to do its work in me, I become more pleasing to God, not because I'm working so hard, but I'm allowing him to work in me and through me. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And this is why we labor and toil. We discipline ourselves to pursue Christ, to honor him because of what he's done on our behalf. This sermon isn't about us and our efforts and making ourselves better so that God will love us more. He can't love you more than he does now. You can't be more saved than you are now if you've already called on the name of Jesus. This is about experiencing the fullness of the gospel in our life. The gospel isn't something, we shouldn't just look and remember that time so many years ago that we were changed. A life in the gospel is an invitation to continual transformation. 
Sometimes that transformation is, is marginal and it's small, but it should be something that we're tasting and experiencing monthly, yearly. Our testimonies shouldn't just be, God saved me 15 years ago and I was transformed. Our testimonies should be, God changed me 15 years ago and he's changing me. He's transforming me into his image. He's making me into a new person. To work out, we need the fuel of food. To train for righteousness or to train for godliness, we need the fuel of the grace of God that he gives us by his Holy Spirit through his son, Jesus Christ. 